My message today is entitled, Jericho Means You're There. <laughs> and you may think, well, where? <laughs> where? Where's my Jericho? Where? Whatever. So I've had people tell me at different times over the years that, well, the Old Covenant is no longer applies to us. We don't have to read the Old Covenant as long as you're reading the New Testament, as long as you're just studying the New Testament of the Bible, you're okay. And you know, I agree with that. You are. You'll be okay if you would know everything that was in the New Testament. You would be great. But you know, the Old Testament was written not to us, but for us. One of the things that we learn in the Old Testament is how God acts, how God reacts. We need to find out how God thinks a lot of times. We get to see what he likes and what he doesn't like. When we start looking in the Old Testament, it may not be for us or to us, but it is for us because we can learn so much more about this God that we serve. Now the Bible tells us that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. So if we know that God has acted like this in the Old Covenant, if God had different ideas or different thoughts or put down what he liked, then we know that that didn't go away. You know, a lot of times people say, well, the New Testament is, you know, the Old Testament was all law, it was all so harsh, it was all so hard, and we're under the New Testament, so none of that applies, and those people are, like I like to say, wrong. Why? The New Testament is harder than the Old Testament. <laughs> See, in the Old Testament, if a man was caught sleeping with a woman, and they said he should be stoned if he were married. In the New Testament, God said, you even look at a woman to lust after her, you've already committed adultery. So it went from doing to looking. <laughs> so I don't know if we have any pornographer users or not, but... New Testament is tougher. We go through a lot of the different things in the New Testament, and, and what we find out happening is that Jesus starts talking about a new law. You know, love everybody, not just those that are good to you. Love your enemies. Do good to them that hate you. Huh? So we have actually a stronger, so the Old Testament, you know, we don't have to follow the Old Testament with its rules and its rituals. God has delivered us from that through Christ Jesus. But he's got a, a line for us. He's expecting a life from us that lines up even better because now we're doing it out of love. We're not under the law. We're not saying we have to do this because God said. We're doing this because we fell in love with Jesus. And we're saying because we love Jesus, there is things that I want in my life. There's things that I want to do in my life. There's things that I want to see in my life. There's character changes I want to make. I want to become more like Jesus every day so that when I have become like Jesus, people will see Jesus through me and will be drawn to the eternal life also. Now that doesn't mean I've gotten there. My wife will attest to that. But it does mean I'm wanting to be there. It means I'm headed in that direction. And then I catch myself doing stuff where I'm going like, man, I shouldn't have done that. And, and I make a note, say, you know, you're going to start avoiding that. You're going to start, start doing things a little bit different. Sometimes you have to go apologize. You know, I'm sorry, I didn't mean that that way. But it slipped out before I was thinking. There's an old saying that says, make sure your brain is engaged before you put your mouth in gear, and often that holds true. <laughs> Get the brain going first. <laughs> start thinking first, and then start talking. So we live 
under the New Testament, but we can still learn from the Old Testament. By examining how and what God did in the Old Testament to accomplish his purpose, we start seeing the types and the shadows that are in there, and they help us to get a clearer understanding of where we're at today. So where are we at? Well, we are in the year of contending for the dreams and the visions that God implanted in our hearts. The word at the beginning of the year was contend. Contend for this year. We've gone through different messages throughout the year. We took a bit of a break, but we go back to contending. Why? Because we're at the end of the year. And a lot of times what wants to happen is people carry on for so and so long. You know, it's easy to start a race. Hundreds of people can start a race. And one wins. But you may down less than half that actually even finish the race because they got tired on the way. And a lot of times people start contending for something and they're saying, okay, I'm in a program now where I want to become more like Christ. I'm in a program now where I want to see the dreams that God has placed in my heart come to pass. I am in a place where I am contending, but then as the Bible says, we get weary in well-doing, and we end up losing our reward because the Bible says, Be not weary in well-doing, knowing that in due season you will reap if you faint not. See, when you start out for the race and you don't finish the race, there's no reward. We have at the, at the, at the picnic every year, the children have races and some of the adults have races. And, and you know, we say, okay, if you cross the finish line, you get a prize. The first one, two, and three get a bigger prize, but everybody gets a prize if they cross. But if you don't cross, you get nothing. And yet this is the way we are a lot. We started off really well. We started off contending, and now we're getting tired, or it's been like, man, it's been 11 months, and I just haven't seen it yet. I just haven't been able to catch what I wanted to catch, or whatever has just not happened yet. And all of a sudden, we start giving up. and start saying, oh, well, this isn't going to work anyway. Well, this is the wrong time to quit. This is the time to dig a little deeper, to push a little harder, and to say, I am going to finish this year contending with God for the things that he has placed in my heart. Contending for the dreams, contending for the visions. Now, dreams did not start with this generation. Like, I know we hear a lot of teachers nowadays and, you know, leadership teachers and different teachers and chase the dream and follow the dream and as long as you get the dream and, you know, all of the stuff is get the dream and go after the dream and give everything, you know, the dream has got to be everything you want. And, but it didn't start with this generation. This has been going on for centuries. Dreams. We just haven't talked about it in that way, in that terminology as much. See, when God wanted Israel to get started, when God wanted Abraham to move from his promised land or from his land where he was raised, he gave him a dream. He came to Abraham and says, Abraham, get up. I'm going to make you the father of many nations. You who are 90 years old and have no kids. Well, at that time, it was about 70. I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And he started putting a dream in Abraham's heart. There's a city that you haven't heard of. Go find that city. <laughs> Look to the sky. How many stars do you see? That's how your children are going to be. Go to the beach. How much sand is on the beach? Like the grains of sand, that's how your descendants are going to be. And he started placing a dream in Abraham because here's a man that's roughly 70 years old and Sarah is probably not much behind him. They have had no kids and it's not been for lack of trying. They've had no children. They wanted a family. They wanted a heritage. 
In fact, they wanted it so badly that Sarah even said to Abraham, well, go take my maid and make a kid. At least you're going to have some heir. They wanted children. And now God comes and he says, I will give you children if you start following me and start trusting me. And he starts placing this dream in Abraham's heart. And Abraham leaves his family, he leaves his friends, he leaves home, and he starts wandering around in the wilderness or in the desert looking for this place that God has told him about. Now this is the way God moved. When he had a dream, he placed a dream in somebody's heart. Israel was given a dream. You're going to have your own land. It will be a land that is flowing with milk and honey. I'm going to bring you to a place where you're going to be living in houses that you didn't build and you're going to be eating from the crops that you didn't plant and you're going to be drinking out of wells that you didn't dig. I'm going to bring you to a place where everything is there. And he put this dream in Israel's heart. Now we know the story how Moses was finally told, okay, you're going to be the leader, let's go. The battle with Pharaoh, but they ended up moving off to their promised land. They went through that desert for 40 years. And followed the dream. And that's really what you'd have to call it. Because they were slaves. But they dreamt of freedom. They dreamt of the time where they would be able to be their own masters. Well, the dream doesn't mean that everything is now easy because you have a dream. See, a lot of people mistake. They say, well, I have a dream now, so because I have a dream, everything should fall into place. It doesn't work that way. If you go through the story of Abraham, you find out there's a few roadblocks in the way. He had the dream, but there's a few things he had to go through and a few battles he had to win. He had to go chase some other kings down and he had to take back everything that they had stolen. And he did, you know, a few things that he went through on the way. When you look at the story of Israel, you know, they they had a dream, and this dream was enough to get them motivated, but this dream was not enough to make Pharaoh say, Oh man, guys, you gotta go, get go. This is a dream, but the dream was there, but the dream caused Moses or Pharaoh to turn around and to say, I don't think so. I'm not losing my workforce. And then the battle started and we had the showdown and they got threatened and you know Moses ended up having to go off into the desert and live for 40 years in the desert as a fugitive before the dream ever came to pass. Now I don't know about you, but if I had been told that I was going to be leading the nation and ended up in a desert somewhere watching somebody else's sheep, I would wonder what had gone wrong with my dream. The dream hadn't changed. God hadn't changed the dream. Before that dream could be fulfilled, there was some stuff that had to happen in Moses' life, and Moses had to learn to trust God. He had to get knocked out of him everything that Egypt had put into him. So he's spending 40 years in the desert watching his father-in-law's sheep going, I'm going to lead the nation of Israel. Can you imagine waking up in the morning and watching the sun come up across the sand dunes? Your sheep standing there yelling at you because they don't have water. (laughs) And you're going, you bunch of filthy, smelly critters. 
God, I thought you said I would be taking the nation of Israel into the promised land. I would be taking them away from their slavery, taking them away from their brick kilns. I would be taking them out there and bringing them to a place where they're going to have freedom, God. What am I standing here watching sheep for? You might start off with a good attitude. You know, the first year of watching sheep might not be too bad. Time you hit 39 years. And you're going, you know, God, maybe I missed it. See, a lot of people are that way. We had the dream. And now we start contending for the dream. We start stirring up those dreams and waking up those dreams and saying, okay, this is the time to get going again. Except somehow something wants to almost be that, you know, maybe it's not really going to happen. And it's time to shake that off and say, hey, this time is different because this time I'm doing it the way God instructed me to go. See, if Moses had gone the way God had instructed him to go, he wouldn't have killed the Egyptian. God never said, go kill an Egyptian. Moses said, go kill an Egyptian. Why? Because he hit one of my brothers. So he killed the Egyptian. He ended up 40 years in the wilderness. A lot of the times, we bring our problems on ourselves because we don't want to go God's way. Oh, there's a shouting point. (laughs) Because we know better than God does. So we're going to do it the way we want to do it. And then we're going to ask God to bless it. Then when God doesn't bless it, we say, God, why didn't you stop me? And God says, I tried to stop you, but you wouldn't listen. Oh, aren't we glad Christmas is coming? These messages are getting easier, aren't they? <laughs> the dream doesn't mean that everything is now easy. We see what the nation of Israel encountered on their way as they contended for their dreams. But when we see the opposition and the difficulties they faced, we can see much more clearly what we can do. And that is why I want to take this morning and look at Israel's journey again to their promised land. After 40 years of getting their hearts right and learning to trust God's provision in the wilderness, they finally got to enter into the promised land. Now this is a trip that should have taken them less than a year. with their cattle and their sheep and their goats and their dogs, their wives, their children. Shouldn't have taken long. But they didn't have the right heart. They kept remembering the things that were of old. They had to rip down some strongholds in their own lives first. The self-reliant stronghold. What, you brought us out into the desert so we could die out here where there's no graves? Were there not enough graves in Egypt to bury us? We had garlic back home. (laughs) You know, that to me is always like garlic. You fight for garlic. That's what you remember out in the desert as you're following God. There's no meat. There's no water. There's nothing to eat and drink. There's this, there's that. And yet God kept leading them and then they ended up with their uprisings and they had the rebellions and the earth had to open and Korah and their lot ended up disappearing and oh it just went on and on and on but finally God said okay that whole generation is dead I'll start with you kids now because you don't remember anymore how it used to be so he took Joshua and Caleb And they started leading the whole new nation. And they were all new now because they were all younger than 40 years old. That nation had died. 
So they were going to move into the promised land, and <clears throat> they had a few difficulties, they say, when they got there, but now they were there. So they get across the River Jordan, and that has its own little miracle. Flood stage, Joshua gets told, Moses, my servant is dead. Go lead this people over the river. The river's in flood times right now. It's the highest it's ever been. No bridges, no boats. And Joshua says, okay, God, how am I going to do it? And God says, well, I will be with you the same way I was with Moses. Send the priests. Tell them to go step into the water. So the priests go, they step into the water, and the water dries up, and they walk across on dry ground. They get to the other side, and, Mo, and the armies of Pharaoh say, well, we can follow them, we'll follow them, because that worked for them, it'll work for us, and they head off out there, except the water comes back. And we know the rest of the story. I was listening to a documentary the other day on YouTube, and it's the rabbi, whatever, Shmulin or whoever his name is, and he talks the proof of the Exodus. He says, you know, so one of the first things people do, they look at the story of the Exodus and they say there would have been proof of this place and there was no proof. They had archaeological digs, they had this, they had that, and they could find nothing that said that this was actually a true story. So he started researching and started studying. He says, well, they got the dates wrong by 200 years. So he presented a hypothesis. He says, you know, let's go to the 200 years earlier and we'll see. And they started digging in that time period of those places and all of a sudden they start finding Joseph's signet ring, <laughs> which is, is, is a miracle. But they found the signet ring that Joseph had used. Oh, he was a ruler in Egypt. They started finding all the different inscriptions, the Jewish inscriptions at the places where they hadn't been looking for. And they started seeing all this. You know, the proof is here. Israel came through here. And it's the Jewish symbols that have been left, which means this was Israel that was coming. And it was about 200 years from the date that they had always set, except now all of a sudden they said to come to the point and they started doing the archaeological thing. And one of the things he said, and he's, um, he's not a Christian, Obviously, he's a Jewish man. But he goes ahead and he makes the comment, and he said even when they look back in history, some great cataclysmic event had happened, and he said it would have been like a tsunami. The water piled up on itself because of an earthquake that took place. Israel crossed while the water was piled up. Now, you know what happens in tsunami. We've seen pictures once the water is released again. So he says, you can, don't have, you, know, you can say, oh, God did this. He says, I see this. I see that this thing happened here. This would have all fit in, and everything started fitting in. And we say, okay, so these were some of the things that Israel was battling at that time. These were some of the things they had to face, but they finally got to the point where the priests go step into the river, and they go walking through into the promised land, and Joshua ends up leading the nation of Israel, plus their cattle and their dogs and everything else, across the river, and they are now in their promised land this is the land that is flowing with milk and honey this is the land where we are going to live in houses we didn't build where we're going to eat crops we didn't sow this is the land where we're going to have wells that we didn't even dig and there's Jericho (laughs) 
Jericho wasn't in the desert. Jericho was in the promised land. Now we have a little saying, this new level, new devil. They got into their promised land. The first thing they faced is a strong, armed, fortified stronghold. See, in the desert, they faced the lack of food. They faced the lack of water. In the desert, they faced, you know, rebellions and all stuff among themselves. But now that they got into their promised land, the land that they were waiting for, the very first thing they face is a fight. So your enemies live in the promised land. If you're fighting enemies, you aren't in the desert anymore. You're in the promised land. Jericho means you're there. So Joshua says, okay, what are we going to do? He gets down, he starts seeking the Lord. The Lord says, I have a plan. <clears throat> You're not going to have to fight. He says, go get your priests together, get into a line, and go march around the city six times, once a day. Or once a day, six times, days, days. In other words, shut up and walk. Why? Because don't say a thing. So they go start marching around the city, and they're all quiet, and that alone is a miracle. But they go walking around the city six times in six days. And he says, okay, the seventh day, go walk around it seven times. And the seventh time that you go around, shout a big shout. Until then, shut up. Why? Why did he tell them to be quiet? Because I know people. What good is this doing? This is the same thing we did yesterday. It's the same thing we're doing all week. Now we're walking around the city one more time. My new Joseph shoes are going to wear out. <laughs> Why are we doing that? What do, you, what, do you, what do you think? We could be at home. They'd be complaining and mumbling and grumbling. You know, the first day they're all excited. Oh, we're going to go march around the city. God said we're going to march around the city and he's going to give the city into our hands except at the end of the day nothing happened. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, we'll do it the second day. And we're up early in the morning and we're ready. We got our teeth brushed, our hair combed. We're going to march around this city and we're going to go again and we go around the city the second day and nothing happens. Third day, we're not feeling so excited anymore. I'll do it. By the fourth day, you know, I think my foot is sore. Maybe I should take the day off today. (laughs) I've already done that three days and nothing happened. You know, I could just stay in my tent. Nobody would notice. Why should I be out there marching in the hot sun? We have shade here. You know, I'm not as young as I used to be. I'm like 40 years old already. And we start finding reasons and excuses and things to stop and things to quit. When the word of the Lord was, you go around there six days, and the seventh day you go six, or the seventh, yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean. So they're quiet for six days, and they're marching. Then on the seventh day they march around it six times, and they're quiet. And then they lift up their voices, and they open the ram's horns, and they start shouting, and they start yelling. And all of a sudden the city drops. It didn't fall over, it dropped. How do we know? Because the Bible says that every man could walk in straight before him. The walls just went down, elevator style. And I would have loved to have seen the, pic- or the faces 
of the guards of Jericho when they saw themselves getting back to the same height as the Israelites were. Oh, shoot. (laughs) Those walls that we trusted in, they aren't here anymore. Those walls are gone. So they were ready to live in their houses. They were ready to drink from those wells. They were ready to eat from those fields. And they faced a walled, fortified city, and it had to be defeated before they could go on. So the battle doesn't necessarily end just because you've crossed over. See, we have one month left, and I'm expecting that we're going to hear reports of people facing some opposition. Things where people said, you know, John and Jess shared a lot of their testimony already. You know, they just shared. It didn't all just fall into place now and say, oh, well, we've got God's plan. So it's there. There were some battles that had to be fought and won. Even when it felt like, man, what are we going to do? They started calling for prayer covered, saying, let's go. And then they took the next step, and all of a sudden the enemies started. And we're calling them enemies. They weren't really enemies. They were just opposition. And it started disappearing, and they were able to move in and to start taking over their inheritance. And so I expect to hear, we'll still hear some stories in this last month about how people say, well, this and this is going. You know, Pastor Brian was sharing with you with his company, you know, how to do this and how to do that, and stuff he hadn't expected, how to be put in place now. And it happens. That doesn't mean that you missed the promised land. That just means that you're in the promised land because now you're starting to face this stuff again. Now you push through. You know, Madison has shared different stories with the business. And and we've heard different things from different people. And and you can't expect that, okay, we're in the promised land, so this is all easy. You're in the promised land. Now the fight starts. But if you quit at that point, you might as well stay on the other side of the river. So we'll hear some reports of opposition, but I believe we'll also hear a lot more reports, great reports of miraculous victories that have happened. Everybody wants the victory. You can't have victory without a fight. So as we look to the new year, we should all be either nearing or have entered into our promised land or the dream or the vision that God has given us for our lives. See, maybe you've stood fast, patiently waiting for your prayers to be answered, and maybe you're just beginning to see the fruition of those prayers. You're starting to see, okay, now it's finally starting to clear up enough that I can see how this could work. But if you have reached a plan or received a plan on how to destroy whatever is opposing you, you are probably in your promised land, even if that walled city is staring you in the eye. And what I mean by that is, you know, a lot of people are believing for financial freedom in 2019. Maybe you got the plan now. You're in your promised land. You're starting to see how that result works. We're going to be spending a little less money. We're going to stay faithful to God. We're going to start putting some extra money on bills. We have a plan. You're in the promised land. Why? That dream now has a way of moving from being a dream, or another word than to be wishful thinking, into a dream or a goal. Yes, I can do this. See, the goal is what you need. You need the path. People think, well, I need a million dollars. That would be in great shape. No, you need a path. Because if God dropped a million dollars into your hands this morning, I'll tell you what you'd be doing with it. In a year from now, you'd be saying, man, if I only had a million dollars. 
I wish I had a million dollars, or something like that. <laughs> if I had. <laughs> But see, what happens is we get into the promised land and we have the dream now. Something has clicked in our hearts that we can do this. We can come to the point of freedom. Something has settled into our hearts, but now something else wants to come along and take us off of that path. All of a sudden, we're not so financially strapped that every penny is ordered before we ever get it. And all of a sudden, we come to the point where there's 10 bucks or something, 15 bucks, 50 bucks extra. And the first thing we want to do is let's blow it. It's mad money now. No, you didn't get extra so you could blow it. You got extra so you could pay extra and get out of this place faster. Come on. You got the plan. Maybe you're trying a restoration of a family and you're saying, man, God, I'm believing you. I want to see my family restored. I want to see this come back. And, and maybe God says, well, if you would phone up and apologize. Oh, that must be the devil. God has given you the plan, but no, no, this plan takes too much work. I don't want to have to do that. I don't want to eat crow. Crow is one of the things that is best eaten right away because it's horrible cold. <laughs> and all of a sudden, God has said, well, maybe if this is what you should be doing this, and you're going, okay, I could do that, and yeah, I could see that that would work, but I'm not doing that. You know, some people are believing for, uh, you know, a raise at, at their work. And they say, man, if I could get a raise at the work. And yet they keep lipping off their bosses. Gee, I don't know why my boss, he hates me. He never, well, then don't be hateable. Make yourself likable. Just because you have an opinion doesn't mean everybody wants to be entitled to it. Sometimes the better part of valor is just keeping your mouth shut. But all of a sudden, God gives us the plan, but we don't want to follow it. Then we say, well, I don't know what happened. I don't ever seem to get it. It works for everybody else. It'll work for you too. If God gives you the plan, you work the plan. It would not have mattered how many times God had said to walk around that city if they had refused to walk around the city. It wouldn't have mattered how often Naaman had taken a bath if he had not gone and taken a bath in the River Jordan when the prophet told him to. He had his plan. He had his goal. He was in the promised land, but now he had to choose whether he was staying there or whether he was going back to the wilderness. It would not have mattered how many years that man had sat by the temple gate beautiful begging if he would not have stood up when he was told to stand up. No, 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 I can't. Peter's trying to lift him up. Oh, no, don't you get me off my feet. I'm going to lose my benefits. Oh, that was the modern days, Peter. <laughs> it wouldn't have mattered how far into the promised land you were if you don't want to walk in the promised land. Because it starts in your heart first. 
It's got to be here. The freedom comes in your heart. And then you get to start walking out of it. If you have received your plan on how to destroy whatever is opposing you, then you're probably in your promised land already. You probably sense that you are in the right there to receive what your heart knows belongs to you from God. Then if so, this is not the time to quit. This is not the time to stop. This is the time to press on and conquer your Jericho. Receive everything that God has in store for you. If I've got to walk for six days, I'll walk for six days. If I've got to yell on the seventh trip around, I'm doing it. If that's what God has called me to do. When we first wanted to buy this church building, we had money saved up. Had our down payment. Actually, we had enough to buy the building. And they wouldn't sell. They kept saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then finally he says, okay, God, what's the stop? And God gave me the story of Gideon. He says, give it away. God, you got this backwards. We want to buy. We don't want to give away. But what does the Bible say? Given it will be given unto you. So I went to the leadership of the church, and he says, well, that's what God's saying, let's do it. And we wrote out checks that night and got rid of the money. I think Dan was still on the board at that time. Sent the checks out to different places, said, okay, there, it's gone. I don't know if it was within a week, very short period of time. The guy that was in charge of the building comes up and says, okay, we're going to sell the building. If you're not buying it now, then um, <laughs> we're going to list it. And I'm like, God! <laughs> We bought a building. Less than a third of what it was valued at. Money was all there. We paid it all off. They came back and gave us some money back yet. <laughs> Said, well, you, we would have dropped the price if you'd asked. <laughs> and I says, the church of Jesus Christ does not have to go around begging. <laughs> So they just gave us money. <laughs> what would have happened if we wouldn't have followed? What would have happened if we said, oh no, God, we worked too hard for this money. We have scrimped and saved and done without because we wanted to get a down payment ready. Well, oh no, no, God, this is our money. What would have happened, do you think? We could still be sitting here waiting and saying, well, what are you going to sell us this place? <laughs> we have to take the plan. When the plan presents itself, you have to walk on it. So when you have the plan, that's the time to move up and start pressing in and saying, okay, Jericho, you're going down now because you'll probably find something that tries to stop you. Now, even if you already stepped in and are living in your promise, this is not the time to sit back and relax. Now, I've said it before, but Israel entered the promised land. They discovered there was enemies living in it. They arrived, and now they had to clean house. Well, the beginning of each year is always a good time to take stock of the past year, see what you have accomplished, see what you still need to accomplish, and then make plans and set your goals. But the victory starts in your heart. And this year, we have been saying, okay, God, we are contending for the dreams that you have given us. We are believing that this is coming to pass, and we are at a point now where we're moving to the last month of 2019, where people are starting to see the reality of those dreams, and they're starting to manifest out here when did you first start thinking of a business roughly 
years ago. This was the year. John, when did you start thinking about farming and more land and buffaloes? And Six, seven years ago. This was the year. You know, I could point out different ones. Madison, when did you start thinking you want to own your own business? A year and a half ago. Yeah. See, these dreams don't come. The dreams, God places the dream there. Stephanie, when did you start thinking about shooting that buck? <laughs> the dream comes and we work on it and it has to incubate. I talked about this a while ago. We get pregnant with those dreams and we have to bring those dreams to the point where they can be birthed into this world. And one of the things that happens is the dreams end up stillborn because there's not enough strength to bring them forth. I had that message just a couple of weeks ago. You need to listen to it if you didn't hear it. There wasn't enough strength, but the strength was there, and this was the year to contend. And God put special favor on this year so that people could end up reaching out and drawing it in and saying, it's mine now. And it's happening. And we're going to be hearing testimonies come New Year's Eve about some of these things and how, you know, dreams that have been fulfilled. Everything from babies to land, babies to buffaloes. <laughs> everything in between (laughs) why because it was the year to contend it was the year to pull in the year to push in this was not the year to go wandering around saying oh well i don't know if that's really going to happen or not this was the year to say it's starting and my heart is fully persuaded that i can have what god said i'm going to have now when you get into the promised land your first jericho might be you're doubting yourself you saying that man oh how could i ever happen i don't deserve this i wasn't good enough I'm not educated enough, I'm not this, I'm not that, I'm not... Because that's often the first walled city you have to face when you start moving into your promised land. You know, people step out, they take the first step or two, and then I'll say, oh, I don't know, I don't know if I'm smart enough, I don't know if I know enough, I don't know this, I don't know that. God didn't bring you this far to take you back again. He brought you this far because he's moving you forward now. You're going into the next season, not the last season. So if we move into the new year, we need to look to the future. Hopefully, anticipating the good things that are to come. Now, this year has been a battle, but many great things have happened. So don't be surprised if it seems as though the battle intensifies briefly as we move into the end of the year. Stepping into your promise by the end of the year means you're going to face those strongholds that need to be demolished. The land provides your needs, but there are still battles to be won. See, that's the first thing that happens when you get the promised land is the land starts providing your needs. I don't have to trust God for every dollar anymore because maybe my job is stable enough that I'm getting finances coming in on a regular basis. I don't have to trust God for groceries every week because, you know, my paycheck is big enough I can buy groceries. What's happened? You moved to the promised land. In fact, in the promised land, you're supposed to have storehouses and warehouses. You're supposed to have them on tap. So when there's a need comes along, you say, hey, I can go get out of my storehouse. 
The land provides, but the battles still have to be won. And the first battle Israel had before settling into the promised land was Jericho. But there was different battles. There's the Gibeonites that came over. Oh, we came from so far away that when we left home, all of this food was fresh and now it's all old and moldy and our clothes were new and they've all wore out because of the trip because that's how far away we came and, and we would like to make peace with you. And they didn't seek God and they got deceived. Christians can be deceived. There's an awful lot of slick BS going around out there. And they're going to try and sell you a bill of goods. And if you don't have the discerning of the Holy Spirit, you're going to buy into it. And you're going to find yourself robbed. One way or another. Why? Because God has a plan. So the Gibeonites come up and they say, we want to make peace. You know, we're so far away. We don't know. We've heard what a great nation you are. And if you're going to come to where we are, then we would like to live at peace with you. So they make a deal without listening to God first. Then they find out they're next door neighbors. So the people are all upset. And they say, oh, we're going to go kill them now because they fooled us. They used trickery. Except they turned to Joshua and said, oh, no, he can't. We made a covenant with them. And we will not break that covenant. Because... If we break the covenant, then God is against us instead of them. What we will do is we'll make them slaves. <laughs> Much better. Later on, Saul ends up breaking that covenant, and God makes note of it that that was the wrong thing to do. He ended up losing because he broke his covenant. That was years later. But the covenant was there for everlasting. So there's deception. You come into the promised land, expect deception. Don't take everybody at face value. Check it with the word. Check it with... The Bible says prove all things. Hold fast that which is true. That means that some things you're going to be hearing aren't true. Now I've said it a number of times. Whatever can be destroyed by the truth needs to be. <clears throat> But we must know how to follow God so that we can win the victory, possess what God has promised. Be ready for the spiritual Jericho as well as the trickery and the deception. So as I mentioned, Jericho was the Israelites' first battle after they crossed the Jordan to possess the land. When they sought for God's wisdom, he gave them a plan for winning the battle without a fight. The battle has to be won with the high praises of God in their mouths with a shout of victory. Jericho was not defeated by mounting an army and fighting their battle. God instructed the Israelites to shut up and march around Jericho once a day for six days. They did. They followed their marching orders, even though in the natural, the instructions don't make a lot of sense. <laughs> How much sense does that make? On the seventh day, the Israelites marched around Jericho seven times. The seventh time, the Israelites blew their trumpets. They shouted. They praised God. The walls fell down. They were able to just walk in and take possession of what God had already promised them. Why? Because it was already in their heart. Guard your heart with all diligence. Right over are the issues of life. See, Joshua did not go into this place going, oh, no, that's it. We've got to turn around and go back now. Joshua walked in saying, this is the land that God has given us, and these Jericho... What are they, Jericonians? Jerichites? <laughs> are blocking me. 
God has given this to me and they are living on my land. That was his attitude. We've got to get them out of here. So God said, okay, go like this and this and this. He said, okay, do it. See, if he would have sat there like a lot of people today, oh, no, no, this must not have been God's will because God said I was going to have a land, I was going to milk and honey and houses and, land and wells and crops, and, and here's these guys, they want to fight me. So fight. Just do it legally. Do it properly. Don't start fighting against the Word of God. <clears throat> So they prepared, but they didn't have to fight. They just obeyed God's instructions, shouting and praising. And he gave them the victory. Is it any wonder Satan tries so hard to get the church to quit shouting? That already happened in Jesus' day. The religious folk came along and they said, tell your disciples they're making too much noise. Tell them to shut up. And Jesus looked at them and said, if they're quiet, the stones will start yelling. Why do you think Satan doesn't like the church yelling? There's power in the yell of victory. Oh, just be quiet. Just keep settled down. You know, children are taught from little ages when you walk into church. Shh, we're in church now. Keep quiet. No, this is your time to yell, kids. When the music is playing, yell. Jump. This is the time to make some noise. And I could go into the whole Hebrew, teach with the word Tehillah and all of those, what they all mean in the Hebrew, what they mean. But that's not what I'm here for today. But I'll just tell you, there's a power that is released when the people of God start to yell out with ear-splitting screams. Oh, but we don't like noise. And God says, and who's going to be boss in your church? <laughs> so as Christians oh and then they were ready for the next battle after they had fought and as Christians living in the new covenant we move forward possess our land when we possess our dreams and our visions we too will have Jerichos we will have spiritual battles that we're going to have to fight and win for God's glory God has placed desires he has placed goals in each one of us Pursuits and dreams that are God's will for our lives. He knew how he made us when he made us. He knit us together in our mother's womb. He knew what he was making. He knew what we had within us. There is not one person in this room this morning that does not have a call of God upon their lives. How do I know that? Because God placed gifts inside of you that he didn't place in that combination in anybody else. You may think, well, man, I wish I could be, you know, I wish I could play guitar, or I wish I could sing, or I wish I could preach, or I wish I could. Don't. What is the gift in your heart? What can you do? Well, I can't do very much. I just organize stuff. <laughs> I got a job for you. <laughs> had a cousin of mine that hadn't been in touch with for for a long time, a number of years, a couple of years ago, she talked and she said, oh, I see you're a pastor. I said, yeah. She says, well, we're not, my husband and I, we don't go in for organized religion. I said, you would love our church. There's nothing organized about it. <laughs> but she hasn't showed up. 
is your gift? What has God given you? If he's given you the ability to sing, sing. If he's given you the ability to work, then work. If he's given you the ability to work with your hands, work with your hands. If he's given you the ability to make money, then make money and bless the body of Christ with it. No, I don't really know what my gifts are. Then hang around with the pastor for a while and those gifts will start coming out all by themselves. I know that. I was like a month old in the Lord and Dr. George, but I was at every service that was there. I, everything that happened, I was there. I was there. All of a sudden, Dr. George says, would you like to take charge of the, young, or the new converts class? <laughs> I'm a new convert. Uh-huh. Okay. But you need the, uh, the anointing to get it developed. See, I was a month old in the Lord and Dr. George putting me in charge of people. What does that tell you? There was a gift there that he was recognizing and seeing. It was coming out. No, I didn't go up to him and say, oh, Dr. George, what should I be doing? I, what, what, what do you want me to do? What should I? I was just like, okay, this needs to be doing. I'll do it. Chairs need to be moved. I can show up half an hour earlier, move chairs. I can stay later and help clean them up. Yeah, no problem. Why? But it needed to be done. So you do what you can do and then find out what God is. The gift starts developing, but you have to be in the church to get it to happen. And all of a sudden you start saying, hey, this is what I was made to do. And then you get put in a place and you go, man, I don't know if I can do that. And a couple of weeks later or a month later, somebody comes and talks to you and say, this is what I was made to do. Uh-huh. Every one of us, God knit us together in our mother's womb, according to Jeremiah. But those gifts and those callings were already built into us. The gifts of God were being built into us as we were being formed. That's why he says those gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. He doesn't change his mind. He put it there. That's what's there. Now, a lot of people have ministries they receive, but they never become Christians, and they still find their ministry even in the world. You ever met nurses that were meant to be nurses and they aren't necessarily Christian? But they've got a compassion about them. They've got a desire to heal and to help and to bring. Yes, the gift was there. I believe a lot of doctors actually would have had a healing ministry in the body of Christ. The gift was there. The desire was there. They pursued it without even knowing it. You ever had teachers that were really teachers? You ever had teachers that wished they were teachers? <laughs> Big difference. Why? Because some you learn from, the other ones you're just marking time to get out of the class. The gifts are there. They're placed there. But they need to be developed and released properly. See, when they sought God's wisdom, he gave them a plan for winning the battle without a fight. But the battle had to be won with the high praises of God and with a shout of victory. We don't put enough emphasis on the high praises of God and that shout of victory. And don't just try to make a shout of victory. That shout of victory comes when in your heart you know. The other thing is you shout that shout of victory, you're going to start knowing in your heart. <laughs> You know, you watch the football games, and what do they do? First, they all build them up. 
And then the pretty women go running back and forth. <laughs> and all the guys go, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> they beat each other on the head and the backside. <laughs> and then they go running out there and just let the other guys try and stop us because we are built up now. What, what was that all about? Even the world recognizes what happens. There's a camaraderie. There's the team. Coach stands up in the front before they get out there and he starts telling them things. Oh, this is a tough team. They haven't lost much, but if you're going to play together, we have this, we have that. We can win this battle. You get out there and you hold them for the first quarter and then you get the second one and, you know, and, and he's got a whole strat and they're going, like, oh, yeah, 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 coach. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then when the whistle blows and the gates open off, they go, <laughs> And each side is convinced, fully pumped up that they're winning this one. Somebody gets hurt, they break their leg and they sort of wait till they drag them off the field and they just keep right on going. Because we're winning. There's no stopping this. See, once it's in your heart, it doesn't matter what's happening around you. It's in your heart. This is where you're going. This is what is going to happen. This thing is not finished until this has come to pass. And you find God's plan to get it there. And then they were ready for the next battle. So we have our battles. We have our yell. We have our shouts that I believe we need to do. See, we may see whatever opposes us, but God has promised to give them to us. You know, so many people focus on the problem. Oh, well, this happened and that happened and those people this and they did that and they did next. But what did God say? Keep your eyes on what God has said and then it doesn't matter what other report comes along because we know which report we're going to believe. So we go with what God has said. If we're going to win those battles, it's going to be done by His power for His glory, not by our own might. And then we're going to give Him the praise for it. Often our Christian experience on earth in a spiritual sense mirrors what we go through life or what life was like in the natural for the nation of Israel. They fought natural enemies. These natural enemies presented as walled cities and giants. Our warfare is against supernatural enemies that seems to be unsurmountable at times. We've all faced those times where we thought, man, I just don't even know what to do next. But we live in the new covenant where the Lord Jesus Christ has already defeated our enemy, Satan. All we need to do is stand our ground in the victory that Jesus already won, declare God's word, and start praising him for our triumph in Christ. God never promised us a life that would be free of spiritual battles, but he did promise that through him we could conquer in every battle we have to go through because he already gave us the victory over every circumstance. Read 1 Corinthians 15, 57 or 2 Corinthians 2, 14. Now because of this, when you come up against a spiritual stronghold, start to contain those strongholds one by one with the word of God. There is scripture Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. By his stripes I am healed. I am more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. God always causes me to triumph in all my circumstances. All my needs are met according to God's riches in glory in Christ Jesus. 
1 John 4.4, 4, Philippians 4.13, 1 Peter 2.24, Romans 8.37, 2 Corinthians 2.14, Philippians 4.19. So you find the word, and then you start speaking that word. Lillian mentioned in prayer tomorrow morning, the joy, releasing the praise. Well, we need to sometimes release the, open our throat, open our thing, and release the word of God against those situations also. Start speaking what God has said instead of what the circumstances are saying. Whatever you're facing in life right now, whatever you desire to obtain before 2020 comes, if you learn how to praise God before you see your answer, I believe God will bring you the victory. But you'll get the victory here first. And even if you walk into 2020, you're going to walk in knowing that something has shifted on the inside of you. There is a sense of security. There's a sense of freedom that you didn't have before. Everything you need from God is available right now if you will just start taking Him at His word and then praising Him for the provision that He already made for you in that word. Now you might have to stand your ground for a bit of time. Your situation may not change overnight. I did a series of teaching years ago. It says delay is not denial. Just because something didn't happen today doesn't mean it's been denied to you. David was crowned as king of Israel. Or not crowned, but anointed as king of Israel at 12 years old. Who knows how old he was when he took the crown? 40 Hmm. 28 years he had to wait? Mm -hmm. Jesus was promised in the Garden of Eden. How long? 4,000 years later. Delay is not denial. It took a while, so it doesn't take 4,000 years yet for your promise to come to pass. Sometimes the longer you wait, the stronger that thing is coming through when it comes. So everything you need is available. He's already made provision for it in his word. But that word is going to have to be in your heart. So you might have to stand your ground for a bit. The situation that maybe doesn't change overnight. But if you keep faithfully trusting God and his word, praising him for the outcome, you're going to see the victory. So you refuse to give up. Stay in God's presence. Sing his praise. Shout his victory. And your faith will be gloriously rewarded. You know, shouting the victory, one of the things that I feel or that I know that works. If there's a battle you're facing and you don't know where to go and you're saying, well, I want to shout you whatever, get into prayer. Start praying in tongues until that thing breaks through. And that's the only way I can describe it. Because something on the inside of you also goes, yes, there's a freedom. And you can start shouting. Otherwise, you just make a noise. If you haven't broke through yet, you just make a noise. Just start praying. And I don't know how long it's going to take. It might take you five minutes. It might take you an hour. It might take you a day. But you give yourself and say, God, I am believing you now. And you start praying in tongues until that victory shout comes. And you'll hear it in your tongues. What do I mean you'll hear it in your tongues? You're praying. But then all of a sudden something starts happening. You start going, hallelujah. And your voice takes on an authority and you start speaking out with power and victory and you start recognizing all of a sudden this thing has broken. Go ahead and dance. 
If you feel like dancing, dance and shout and have your own little hallelujah party there all by yourself. Because the victory has come. Once it is in your heart, then it can spread out. That's why Solomon writes, he says, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. These things happen. But you kind what's in your heart. What did God place in your heart? You start bringing that to fruition. You start believing God for that. And the next thing you know, it's taking place all around you. And you're going, this is what God was showing me. Huh? Now you might spend your time. But keep trusting God. Shout His victory. Your faith will be rewarded. Now, I don't believe it was any accident the praises in church increased in volume in the last couple of months as we started nearing the end of this year. See, we started believing God at the beginning of the year, and yet praise services at the beginning of the year were often not terribly loud. We had some great services where the Spirit of God moved, but it was always in a quiet manner, or quieter manner. And then all of a sudden, on one Sunday, things started happening, and we made mention of it, even among some of the leadership. So we said, like, what's going on here? All of a sudden, the volume got amped up. Well, I think, and I don't know now because I don't remember, it could have been the seventh month. Maybe towards the end of the seventh month. We had walked for six months. (laughs) And all of a sudden, the volume started going up. And, you know, we have services now where some people are shouting and carrying on. You're going like, let it go, Lord, let it go. Let the high praises of God flow in this place. Father, let people shout the victory. Let people shout and rejoice and sing and dance and clap. And if everybody else thinks we're crazy, let them think we're crazy. We're still worshiping God. I would rather have the world think I was crazy than have God think I was crazy. (laughs) Just saying. See, God is giving us the map to break through. But we're going to have to follow it. January 1st, the 1st in January, we started off with a message of contend. This is the year to contend now. Those dreams that have died, resurrect them now. Those dreams that have been put on the shelf, bring them back to life. Those dreams that God has placed there which you have maybe forgot about, but you remember that they were there. Bring them, refresh them, dust them off. Mold them, make them, knead them, do whatever you have to do with them, make them pliable again, and bring them to the forefront and contend for those things. And the first six months, we didn't see a lot happening. Well, a few things happened, great things, but... We didn't really see that in the church the atmosphere hadn't really changed. And then all of a sudden things started changing and all of a sudden people started saying, hey, I can do it too. If God will do it for one, he'll do it for all. And if he's ever done it before, he can do it again. We're moving into the last month, December 1st. We have one month. It's time to keep trusting God that breakthrough you may think well it's not coming this year I think you're wrong (laughs) I think it's coming this year and if you can stand at New Year's Eve and say in my heart I know you're in the promised land now you may not have faced Jericho yet but you arrived
So, Father, I just want to thank you for the dreams that you have placed in us. I want to thank you, Father, for what you have already done. Oh, but I give you praise for what you are doing. For the lives that you are changing and setting free. For the relationships that are being restored. For the houses and the lands that you are bringing in, Father. For the finances that you are releasing in the body of Christ. I thank you, Father, for the new business ideas. I thank you, Father, for the whatever it is that you are doing. For the restoration that you are bringing. I thank you for perfect health, Father. I thank you for souls that are being healed. We thank you, Father, that this is the year. We have contended for the dreams that you have placed within us. And, Father, we ask your direction, to, even if there's something we're still lacking until the end of this year, your direction, Father, so that we might be obedient to what you lead. We praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.